So just two months ago, I got to do one thing that I've been waiting for so long to do ever since we've moved here uh, a year and a half ago. And that is that I was finally able to unpack all of my boxes of all of my boxes of books and load them into my office onto my bookshelf. And I don't know about you, but sorting through and arranging books is one of my favorite things to do. There's something about just having a, a full and well-organized bookshelf that, that brings me a, a great level of satisfaction, maybe too much satisfaction uh, with my life. But as I was unloading my books, I encountered a, a problem. See, I came across a few books that I wasn't sure what I should do with them. And the reason for that was because these were written by men who were either disqualified from the ministry because of sin in their life, or even worse, men who had completely abandoned the faith. And so I was faced with a dilemma. Do I, do I leave these books on my bookshelf, which, which did have an impact on me at some point in my life? Or do I give them away? Do I throw them out because I don't want someone else to have them? Or do I have a good old-fashioned uh, good old fashioned book burning uh, with some of those books. And, and one of the authors that I'd come across, I was contemplating what I should do with his books was a man named Joshua Harris. Now, some of you guys might be familiar with Joshua Harris, depending on the Christian circles you grew up in. Who here has heard of Joshua Harris? Okay, a few. Uh, so he became popular at the age of, a uh, young age of, of 21, when he wrote a, a best-selling book that sold over a million copies, and it was called I kiss dating goodbye. I kiss dating goodbye. And it was a call for the Christian to abandon kind of the, the world's view of, of dating and to embrace this idea of, of courtship. Now, I admit there, there were some helpful things in that book that, that helped me as I was um, thinking through these things in my life. And it seemed to me like Joshua Harris had some valuable wisdom you know, for being such a young man. He went on to to pastor quite a large church in Maryland uh, for 11 years. He, he wrote other books. He was a frequent speaker at Christian conferences and on Christian podcasts. He was, he was this rising star in conservative evangelicalism. And so it came then as a big surprise to me and to others when Joshua posted on his Instagram in 2018 that he was divorcing his wife and that he was abandoning the faith altogether. He didn't consider himself to be a Christian anymore. And so how can someone who seemed to be doing the work of God, who seemed to be genuinely leading people to faith in Christ, who seemed to check off all of the boxes of, of what it meant to be a Christian, all of a sudden turn around and say, I don't believe any of it anymore. Now in Joshua Harris's case, it's a it's a high-profile and drastic example of apostasy. But I imagine, and I know, that you probably know people in your own life who have followed a similar path. They once claimed to love the Lord, once walked what looked like the Christian life, but now want nothing to do with it anymore. And the glaring question that we all have when we encounter someone like this is how did it happen? How did this happen? 
And I don't think we can know the specific answer of how and, and, and why someone falls away. In our passage that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus is going to tell a parable that partially explains how someone can at, at some time positively respond to the gospel, but then not make it all the way to the finish line. And so you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 4 to 21, and we're going to see what Jesus has to say on this topic. That's Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 21. And when a great crowd was gathered, and people from from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed some along the path, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, and some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked, and choked it, and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when the disciples asked him what, what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they're in parables. So that seeing, they may not see. And hearing, they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who When they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who Hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, and, but, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers and those who are, are those who hear the word of God and do it. So this passage that I just read is famously called the parable of the sower, though I think it might be more appropriate uh, to call it the parable of the soils because that's where the main focus of this 
passage is. And this parable really serves for us two main purposes. First, it serves the purpose of describing different responses to the gospel and the word of God. By doing so, it helps us understand the responses that we see around us. When people respond in, in particular their ways to the word of God, it's, it's meant to describe how humans act and behave. And then secondly, it serves a, a purpose of warning all of us to call us to, call us to attention. It, it calls us to reflect on how we are responding and obeying the word of God. Is there a pattern in our spiritual walk of responding properly to God's word? Or is our life marked by by an indifferent, superficial, and distracted response to God's word? And so you should pay close attention this morning, not simply because I'm telling you to, but because Jesus himself says in, in verse 18, take care how you hear. Take care how you hear. Listen up. When the word of, word of God is being taught, when the Word of God is being read, when the Word of God is being preached, we want to make sure that we are, we are hearing the Word of God and we are responding properly to it. And so the structure of, of God's Word this morning is, is or the structure of, of my sermon this morning is fairly simple. We're just going to look at the four different responses that Jesus gives us here and and, and how people respond to the Word of God, and why you need to make sure that you have the proper response. Before we get into that uh, and, and look at the parable itself, I want to quickly address what Jesus says in verses 9 and 10. He says something there that is, is a little bit provocative. You know, he gives the reason why he decides to speak to the people in parables, and his explanation there might surprise you. And this is what I was referring to in Isaiah chapter 6. And so let me read those verses again um, to give us a, 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 an understanding of why Jesus is speaking in parables before we actually look at the parable itself. So verses 9 and 10 say this. And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, upon hearing that, you might be thinking to yourself, it sounds like Jesus is saying that he speaks in parables in order to show the truth to some people, but to hide the truth from others. Well, you're exactly right if that is what you're thinking. You see, Jesus speaks in parables for two main reasons. First, he speaks in parables to reveal See, parables are a beautiful way in which Jesus reveals these heavenly truths to his genuine disciples that they may know the truth and grow in the truth and respond to the truth. But there's a second reason for parables, to reveal, but also to conceal, to conceal the truth of the kingdom of God from those who are spiritually hardened to it. Now, an honest question might be, Why would Jesus want to hide truth from people who have hard hearts to the Word of God? Well, it is, I think, in a sense, it's a judgment upon those people for their unbelief. They have opposed God and His Word, and so God, as a form of judgment, 
conceals the truth from them through parables. It's like what we see in, in the story of, of Pharaoh. Both Pharaoh and God are involved in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And it's true here. People have, have rejected the word of God. They've, they've dismissed the truth. They've hardened their hearts, and, and God further hardens their heart as a form of judgment by speaking in parables. We see in Matthew 13, verse 11, the, the parallel passage to this in Matthew's gospel says, to you, that is to the disciples, to us, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So God gives ears to hear to some, and others he does not. And so this adds, I think, for us an urgency to the warning then that Jesus gives us for us to hear and heed his words. If we continue down a path of simply hearing but not taking to heart the word of God, we will over time become hardened to uh, his word and eventually become blind to understanding his word. And so with that, now that we have this understanding of, of why Jesus is speaking in parables, let's look at the parable itself. And it's an easy text to preach on because Jesus has already done all of the hard work for me in this passage. You know, he's told me, this is what this represents, this is what this represents. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to look a little bit deeper on each of those four responses. And I've given a name to each of those responses and the person that falls into that category. And these are the four types that, that we see. First is the indifferent. The indifferent. Second is the superficial. Third is the distracted. And fourth is the fruitful. Those are the four responses to the Word of God. The indifferent, the superficial, the distracted, and the fruitful. And so first we have the indifferent. Look at verse 12 of our passage. The ones along the path, are for, I'll start in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. And the ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And so we see here that the first place that the seed, which the passage tells us is the word of God, the, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, does not fall on the soil, but rather falls on the path. And a path, by its very definition, is a place where seeds don't grow. Now that's why it's the path, because nothing is growing there. You can walk on that, and you won't trample over the seeds. If a seed does fall on the path, it never enters into the ground. Instead, it gets trampled. It never germinates, or it's picked up by a bird to eat. And Jesus says that this represents a person who hears the word of God, but it never penetrates into their hearts. And because of that, the devil comes and he snatches it away and they don't believe the word. Now, two things to, to note from this. First, this, this category of indifferent is where I think most of the unbelieving world falls into around us. You know, there's, there's simply a, a lack of interest or, or an indifference to the gospel in people's lives. When I was part of a group called Power to Change in university, we'd go around campus and we would share the gospel with, with people if they were 
sitting in the cafeteria, we'd, we'd go up and chat with them or waiting outside uh, for a lecture to begin. And there were times when, when people would be you know, adamantly opposed to me. They would be angry uh, or they'd be of a, of a different religion and they would be trying to prove me wrong and prove their religion correct. And to be honest, that, that didn't really bother me, me that much. At least they were, they were willing to engage uh, in, in some way with God's Word. It's still wrong, obviously, the response. But what really made me sad, the response that made me even more sorrowful for the state of our world, is that when I would sit down with someone, I would clearly walk through the gospel with them, and after doing that, I would ask them, does that make sense to you? And, and, and do you believe that this is true? And they would reply, yeah, yeah, that, that does make sense to me, and it, it probably is true. I don't see why it wouldn't be, but I'm sorry, it's just not for me. See, there's this, this complete indifference, even though they know that the Word of God is true, they, they have no desire for it. It just deflects right off of their hardened heart. But beware, because this is not only true, I think, of those outside of the church community, but it can even be true of those inside of it. If there can be people who come to church every Sunday, sitting here as the Word of God is preached, but have absolutely no desire to truly listen, heed it, and obey it. You know, I, I've, I've had people fall asleep on me when I've been preaching, and to be honest, I, I, I get it at times, and it doesn't really offend me. But what's even more sad is someone who is sitting there, and they're physically awake and they're aware. But in their hearts, they are, are spiritually asleep. They have no desire to the demands of God's word on their life. They, have, they are completely indifferent to what the gospel has to say for them. And that's where the real danger lies. And so we need to be aware that, that people can be indifferent. Even, even people who come to church every Sunday can be indifferent to the word of God. And then the second thing that we notice from this first response is that Satan is out there actively opposing God. See, where the word of God is preached, you can be sure that the devil and his demons are trying to combat it. You know, he wants to snatch away the word before it takes root in someone's heart and is believed. And this is what Satan has done from the very beginning. He was opposing the word of God in the garden tempting Adam and Eve to, to question and not believe the word of God, and he's doing the same thing today. You know, those who, who walk in darkness are under the rule of him who is the king of darkness, and he keeps them there by snatching away the gospel before it takes root in their hearts. And so we as Christians need to understand that, that Satan is active. You know, reformed Christians, because we've sometimes seen this this wrongly applied people overemphasizing the role and the power of Satan can sometimes, and I, I think to our fault, underestimate what Satan is doing today. You know, 1 Peter 5 tells us that he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Or 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says that he's the God of this world who has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Satan is opposing God. 
And on Sunday, Satan is, is hard at work to prevent the Word of God from taking root in your heart. And we need to be aware of that. We need to pray against that. We need to, in our own hearts, resist the devil that he might flee from us, making sure that we're not indifferent to the Word when it comes before us. And so that's the the first soil, the, the first person, the first response. It's someone, when the Word of God is presented to them, they are indifferent. They just don't really care. It doesn't, it doesn't penetrate into their hearts. Now, moving on to the second response. This is what I, I, I've called the superficial response, or the while things are good response. And look at verse 13 of our passage. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And so here we have the seed falling on the rock. And what's being referred to here is this small, shallow layer of of soil that, that sits upon the rock. If you live in Montague, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This, this, uh, a few inches here where, where there's soil, but then right after that, you're, you're, you're sitting on, on the rock. And this means that a seed, if, it, if it's planted or if it, if it falls into that soil, you know, it can sprout up fast come springtime. You know, that soil there, because there's, there's, there's little of it, it's shallow, it's going to get warmer faster. And the, the, the seed is going to, to sprout up quickly. But as soon as the sun starts to beat on that, as soon as it, it stays out for sustained periods of time, that soil is going to get hot. And that soil is going to dry. And the plant, because it has no deep roots, it's going to wither and it's going to die. And Jesus says that this represents someone who hears the word, receives it initially with joy, but then when trials and tribulations come, they fall away and they reject the gospel. They wither and they die. Their spiritual life starts off enthusiastic. They're, They're coming into the church. They're joining all the ministries in the church. They're out there evangelizing people. But as soon as difficulties come, Their faith proves to be shallow and superficial and not actually anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. They dry up, the joy leaves, and the faith follows soon after. Luke says that it's in a time of testing, in a period of testing, that they fall away. You see, our faith is is being tested to see whether or not it it is genuine all the time. Because Tests are, are employed to see if, if something is, is fake or something is real. You know, I got distracted the other day when I came across a YouTube channel, and it's of a guy who owns a, a pawn shop, and people are always bringing him all sorts of, of things. And oftentimes, people are coming there, and they're, they're trying to scam him. They're trying to bring in some sort of you know, fake Louis Vuitton bag or some, some Rolex that, that's bought at a flea market or a fake ring, and, and whenever this, this guy gets those, uh, he's, he's very sure to run all of these things through a, through a series of tests to see if they're real or not. And for the Christian, 
The series of tests that God gives us to see if our faith is real or not is the trials that we face in this life. There are a lot of people out there who say that they have faith in Christ. But it proves to be false because as soon as trials come, they fall away. Rather than their faith being rooted in Christ, they are Christians for some other reason. Maybe it's the good Christian community and fellowship that you get on on Sunday mornings and Wednesday night Bible study. Or maybe it's because they like the the wonderful music that, that the church sings. Maybe it's because they just wanted to please mom and dad for their whole life while they lived at home. Maybe it's because a pastor lied to them and told them that they would be happy and healthy and wealthy if they came to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it can be, be any sort of reason, but when, when trials come, it reveals that the faith and the trust is not actually in Christ, it's in some, some other thing. And so they drop out of the race. You know, they turn in their Bible, turn in their gear. They, they say, I'm sorry, but I didn't sign up for this. This wasn't on my job description. And it's partly the church's fault. Multiple different pastors have, have told me many times that what you win someone with, you got to keep them with. If you win someone to the faith by telling them that it's all sunshine and rainbows, well, when the sun ain't shining and the roses ain't flowering, they're going to be gone. What you win them with is what you keep them with. And how we respond to trials God sends our ways reveals is the true test between what, dis- discerning what it is we've been won to. You know, is our, is our faith a, a fake and, and shallow, superficial faith rooted in, you know, the good promises that Jesus offers? Or is it a real, deep, and lasting faith built upon the solid rock who we can cling on to no matter what comes our way and the trials that we face? That we face? And that is the only true faith that the Bible says that will save us. A shallow, superficial, fake faith is no faith at all. And so something to you know, reflect on this morning is whether or not your faith in Jesus is shallow or deep. If the sun comes beating down on you, will you wither up and die? Or do your roots go deep? go deep down and are anchored in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you can withstand periods of drought no matter how long they might be. If God were to allow you to struggle for the rest of your life financially, you know, struggling to, to pay the bills, always having that in, in the back of your mind, would you still trust him? If God were to allow you to suffer from cancer or disease, would you still trust him? If God were to allow you to go to jail for being a Christian, would you still trust him? Would you say, I don't think it's worth it? If God were to take your spouse or your child from you at a young age, would you still trust him? Or would you wither away and die? And so we've looked at now 
the first two soils. We have the path, which represents those who are indifferent to the word of God. We have the seed that fell upon the rocks, which represents those who superficially believe the word of God. Now moving on to the third soil, and that is the seed among the thorns. It's, it's what I call the distracted or the, but I like the world response. So look at verse 14 from our passage. And as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And so in this instance, what we have is is the seed falling into some soil that has a bunch of thorns and thistles and weeds already there. And what happens is, because the seed is sharing this soil with those other weeds and thorns, the nutrients that the seed needs to grow big and to produce fruit is all being stolen away from it. And the sun that, that the, the, the plant needs to grow nice and big and healthy is being blocked out by those weeds that are already there that haven't been removed from the soil. And what you end up, is, and end up with is just a weak and frail plant that isn't able to produce any fruit. And because it doesn't produce fruit, really, what's, what's the point of having the plant? And Jesus says that this is the type of person who hears the word, accepts it, but then the cares and pleasures of this world stifle their growth as a Christian, and they produce no fruit. You know, they've got priorities in life that are competing with one another. They're distracted by other things. They're consumed by the concerns of the world. They, they have other masters that are stealing away their time, attention, devotion, and love. And not enough is going to their true master, the Lord. And so they don't grow. They produce no fruit. And now certainly Jesus here is talking about sins, you know, the, the worldly pleasures that are before us that prevent our growth when we don't put them to death in our lives. But I don't think it's just sins. Now, he mentions the cares of the world. And Jesus is talking about other things, things that can even be good things in our life, that when placed in, in the position of God, they become idols. You know, things, good things like our families can prevent our growth in the Lord or our homes or the, the great friendships that we have with other people or our, our joy and happiness in the gifts that God has given us. These things, though good, can all become elevated to a level where they actually turn our hearts away from God. They become the priority instead of God. And in the busy world that we live in, this is especially tempting. You know, we're always wanting to, to fill our schedule with fun things. And when we do that, sometimes we end up removing the Lord from our schedule. You know, if you're too busy to, to study the Word of God and pray, I'll tell you this right now. You've got thorns in your life that are choking out your faith. If you're too busy to gather with the saints, or if someone leads you away from gathering with the saints, you have thorns choking out your faith. If you're too busy to, to sit down and, and do family worship with your children, you've got thorns 
that are choking out your faith. You're becoming distracted by the things of the world. And it's going to produce a fruitless life. The spiritual issues are not a priority for you, but are, are one thing among many. Don't be surprised when you don't see any growth in your life. You know, don't be surprised when you keep falling over and over and over again into that same sin that you want to defeat. Don't be surprised when you've got a, a crappy marriage. Your loyalties are divided. You're distracted from the gospel. Your, your growth is being choked out because you have a divided heart between God and the cares and pleasures and things of this world. And so you need to beware this morning that this isn't you. you know, where do your priorities lie? You know, here's one question that I think will help you diagnose if this might be you. And that question is this. What are the activities you plan other activities around? Do you have things in your schedule like, you know, I'm, I'm going to study the Bible and do my devotional time. I'm going to have family worship. I'm going to gather with the saints on, on Sundays and throughout the week. I'm going to, to have all these non-negotiable things scheduled into my schedule. Or do you have other things, you know, like kids' sporting events or a night out with the boys or, or work or a movie night? And it's the things of God that get moved around those things. In your schedule, what, what are the non-negotiable things and what are the, the negotiable things? That's going to reveal your heart as to whether things might be in your life that are, are choking out your faith. And I'm not saying at all that these things aren't bad. You know, I like to spend time with people. I think you know, there's a benefit to having your children in sports. They can learn great things like teamwork. There's, there's uh, leisure is, is a good thing and rest that the Lord has given us. But if they begin to compete with the interests of the kingdom of God in your own spiritual growth and walk, then they do become bad. And they do become things that you need to repent of and turn from. And so know in your life, what are the things that, that threaten to choke out and distract you from your growth? And tone it back on those things. Schedule other things around Christ. Don't schedule him around other things. Make sure Christ is the priority or you're going to end up with a fruitless life. And what does Jesus say about a, a branch that doesn't bear any fruit in John 15? He says that it's cut off and it's thrown into the fire. The distracted response is just as dangerous as the indifferent and the superficial response. And so now moving on to the final soil, we have for us the response that is desired and commendable before God. Look at verse 15. As for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. You see, the seed that falls on the good soil is protected from the birds. It enters into the ground, and the birds can't get it. It's also protected from the sun. 
because its roots can, can grow deep. And if it's good soil, it's, it's protected from the weeds because it's maintained and other things don't threaten to compete for its nutrients and choke it out. Now, as a result, what's going to happen to that seed? It's going to grow and it's going to grow and Jesus says that it's going to produce fruit a hundredfold. And this is the Christian who hears the gospel, hears the word of God, accepts it into their heart with a, with a good and honest heart and holds fast to it even in times of trouble. And then not only hears the word, but then goes and does the word, displaying fruit in their life. And now note here that it says, they, they will produce fruit with patience. And what Jesus is meaning here is that fruit will come in time. If we continue on with this planting analogy that Jesus is using, when a seed enters the ground, it doesn't immediately produce fruit. It takes time for, for that fruit to grow. Now, some plants, you know, they fruit quickly. My, my strawberries produce fruit very quickly this year. But other plants, you know, like, like garlic, you've got to plant them, you've got to plan way ahead because they take a while in order to produce their crop. And the point that Jesus is making is this, is that fruit might take time to show up. We need to be patient, but it is going to show up eventually. It is going to show up eventually. The Christian is going to receive instruction from God's Word, and they're going to walk in it. They aren't going to dismiss its demands on their life. They aren't going to only trust God when times are good. They aren't going to have Christ is simply one among many masters with divided loyalties. He is going to be Lord over all of it. And if he says, take up your cross daily and follow me, then that's what we're going to do every single day. Take up our cross and follow him. And that's what the last two portions of this passage are, are about. On what it means to live as, as one who responds properly to the word of God. And the first Jesus, the, the first application Jesus relates this to is, is to a lamp. Let me read verses 16 to 18. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Now this passage addresses a few things, but what we're going to focus on is those first statements that says if we truly heard and received the word of God, if our if our lamp has been lit, it's going to emanate from us in both word and deed. And the message that we've heard, we're going to bring it to others. It's like, I'm not sure if you've ever been at a wedding or an event, when they do something with sparklers. You know, when your sparkler gets lit, you don't turn and hide it under your jacket. You wave your sparkler in there, and if you see someone's sparkler isn't lit, you go and you, you light their sparkler on fire too, and, and you let that, that sparkler shine. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. We're to let the message of the gospel shine 
with both our words and our deeds. And Jesus says in verse 18 that it all comes back to this idea of, of how we are actually, what, what is our disposition to hearing the word of God in our own lives? And Jesus says, take care how you hear. You know, hearing the word of God then is an intentional act. If it's something that we can take care and, 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 and look at, then it's something that is intentional. It's an activity that we should be trying to become better hearers of the word if we are going to shine. You know, do you exercise care in how you hear the word? When you come to church or, or when you're doing your own personal Bible reading times, when, when people are counseling you and addressing you with the word of God, are you attentive to the word that's being placed before you? Do you actually have a, have a desire to, to learn from that? My wife was talking to me the other day about uh, the women's study and one of the questions that was really helpful for her, one of the questions was simply, what's something new that you've learned? from studying this. That's what we should be, should be doing as hearers of the Word of God. Not saying, I already know that message. I already know what he's going to say. I've heard the parable of the sowers so many times. No, what, what can we eagerly look for to hear in God's Word being taught to us? Is that our response or is it distracted and focused on other things? You know, gazing off at the ceiling as I'm preaching. But it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop with hearing. You see, once you become sensitive to hearing the word and become a good hearer, now you need to make sure that you're also a doer of the word. Look at verses 19 to 21. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, Jesus here, he's not, he's not taking a shot at his family or devaluing the institution of the biological family. What Jesus is doing here is he is highlighting that there is another family that transcends even that of the biological family, and it's based upon obedience to God's word. Now, I'm not sure about you, but for me, that is a great motivation for obedience to God. You know, the path that, that Jesus calls us to walk is hard. But as we walk upon it in obedience, we get to hear those words from Jesus himself. That man right there, that is my brother who is walking in obedience to my Lord. That, that lady right there who is struggling to barely make it, but, but staying upon the path in obedience, that lady right there, that is my sister. That should, should motivate us to press on and continue in this path of obedience. And so there you have it. The parable of the sower and the applications that come from it. Now this saddens me a little bit to say, but it's likely true that even in this congregation of those of us sitting here this morning, there are people in every category that we've looked at. Some of you are indifferent to the Word of God and have no real interest into what it says and what it requires of you. Some of you profess faith in Christ as Savior with your lips, but your faith doesn't run any deeper than that. And it's only a matter of time before a trial comes your way and proves that 
your faith was not in the Lord and you trusted in something else. Some of you have turned to Christ partly, but He shares the throne of your heart with other things. You've relegated Him behind the cares and the pleasures of this world, and you now live a fruitless life. And some of you, by God's sovereign grace and mercy, are the last soil. The Word of God has taken root, and it is producing in you good works that shine to the world around us and identify you as the family of God. And if you're in that last category, keep fighting the good fight of faith. Finish the race that is set before you. Hold fast to the Word of God. Resist the devil. Don't hide your light. Keep producing fruit to the glory of God. But if you're in one of those first three categories and You've come to recognize that this morning, to recognize that maybe you're not a Christian and never have been. What are you to do then? Well, the Bible tells us that you are to call out to God to have mercy upon your soul, to repent of your indifference to the Word of God, to repent of a superficial faith that just loved the Lord for His blessings. Repent of the divided priorities that you have in your life and ask God to give you a new heart that will hold fast to the gospel of Christ, that will produce a faith that both hears the Word of God and obeys the Word of God. And so if that's you this morning, don't ignore this calling on your life anymore. Let today the day that you finally hear and heed his word and turn to the Lord and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we thank you, God, that by God's grace, many of us sitting in this room, not because of anything that we have done, not because of our own merits, have been made into the children of God. You have planted the seed of the gospel in good soil that you have predestined in our hearts beforehand, and we give you great thanks for that, God. And we pray that we would not squander uh, the gifts that you have given us, that we would live as lights in this world, and that we would hold fast to the word of God preached and I specifically pray, Lord, that if we're tempted to fall into a life that is distracted, a life that is choked out by the weeds, that you would put a deep desire in our hearts to prioritize you in this life. God, we live but a small time on this earth. And it is easy to squander on the cares and pleasures of this world. But by your Spirit, would you protect us from that? Would you help us to grow and be a people who produce fruit? And Lord, for those here who do not know you, who might think that perhaps they have known you, but show no fruit in their life or are tempted, of, temp- tempted to fall away, Lord, in difficulty or are indifferent to the word of God as it comes before them, Lord, would you be merciful upon their soul? Lord, we can't change the condition of our hearts. We can't make our hearts good soil. But you can. You can infuse it with 
nutrients, you can infuse it with light, you can pull out the weeds, you can soften the hard ground, you can run roots that go deep. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that in people's hearts this morning. Be merciful, turn their hearts toward Jesus. May they see their sin, may they repent of their sin, and may they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for their salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.